updating us on Arabella's situation. And um, Arabella, if you're watching, then uh, you're very much in our thoughts and prayers as you prepare for this exciting next chapter that God's got planned for your life. I need to begin with um, <clears throat> a bit of an apology this week. I haven't got any slides this week. Yeah. <laughs> you like them that much, eh? <laughs> you see, I've been, I've been away for three days um, at the EBA conference, and so um, uh, it, got to, it, got to, um, it got to Wednesday, and I was packing my bag, and I thought, do I put my laptop in? And I thought, it's quite heavy, and it might get damaged. So I thought, no, I won't. And then I just thought, no, I'm, I'm, it'll be all right one week not to, have, um, not to have any slides. And then yesterday, last night, it just suddenly struck me, this is going to look really bad. The week that I don't have slides is the week that England have not only had a really exciting finish to the test match on Tuesday, but then on Friday, they won a crushing victory in a one-day international. And then Essex, of course, I'm, I'm sure you're all aware, um, had a really exciting T20 match on Friday night. And I thought, they're going to think all I've done this week is watch cricket. I assure you that's, that's not the case, um, but um, don't have any slides this week. But this week, we're actually putting together two Alpha sessions. Um, as, we, as, as we work through the Alpha course, you won't be surprised to hear that there, there is, um, there's one week called Why and How Should I Pray? And then the following week, there's one called Why and How Should I Read the Bible? And... As I've said before, we're, we're, sort of, we're basing our sermons at the moment on roughly on the Alpha course, but um, I'm also um, hopefully giving a little bit more depth and a little bit of an alternative, um, alternative perspective as we go through them. And so I thought it'd be good to bring these two things together because ultimately what these two weeks address is the theme of communication how we communicate with God, how God communicates with us, and how we can be equipped to recognize God working um, in us and through us and around us as well. It's so important that we recognize that. Because if we have no way of, of recognizing God in the world around us, if we don't listen, if we don't speak to God, if we don't share with God, then we don't communicate with God. We don't receive and notice anything. And if that's the case, then God is simply a word. He's not this living and active force that we talk about. So it is vital in our faith life that we address the issue of how we communicate with God. For a lot of people, prayer is a fairly alien concept, but not completely alien. For an, a staggering number of people, prayer actually does have a place in their life, far more than the number of people who, who perhaps read the Bible or come to church. Prayer is not an alien concept. But a lot of the time, when people pray, it's either out of habit, we were taught as a child or we got into the habit at some point in, in life and there's a, a formula that we use and it's not something we give a lot of thought to but it's, it's a habit that we go through. Prayer is also something that people turn to in a crisis um, when 
um, when uh, Christian Eriksen, the Danish footballer, collapsed on a football pitch last year and had a, a cardiac arrest on the pitch, and paramedics were fighting to save his life. Sports presenters all over the country were urging people to pray for Christian Eriksen. And there was loads and loads of, of, of pleas on social media and in the press. Our prayers, our prayers with the Danish Football Federation, our prayers are with Christian Eriksen and his family. People pray in times of crisis. And that's absolutely right. God is a God who wants us to reach out to him when we go through those times. But that's not all that prayer should be. Prayer is an opportunity. Prayer is this incredible opportunity for us to speak to God. Prayer often can be an ongoing conversation with God where we share throughout our day our thoughts and our feelings and the, 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 the conflicts that we can sometimes feel. We talk to God about them. We share with him. Because if we, if we truly believe that God is our heavenly father, the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who has a plan for our lives, then it's only right that we should have this, this natural desire to communicate with him, to talk to him. If we have a really close friend or a, a, a sibling or a parent or a son or daughter, we want to talk to them. We want to share with them. It'd be dreadful if the only time that I spoke to my wife was in a very formulaic response or when there's a crisis and the rest of the time I just ignored her like she wasn't there. That wouldn't be a, a loving relationship. That'd be a really odd relationship, a really clunky relationship. And I'm pretty sure that when I did turn to her in the times of crisis, I'd feel really awkward because I'd have this, this weight of guilt that, oh, I haven't spoken to you for, it's been months actually, not since, um, not since the last crisis. And we'd have that sudden weight of guilt that might cause a barrier to, to form and might put me off even talking to her in times of crisis. And the same thing happens when we talk to God. This is why it's really important that we maintain a prayer life that we maintain this, this ongoing communication with God, that we talk to him on a daily basis. There is nothing we can say that bores God. There is nothing that is too small for us to come to him with. And prayer is not something that we should be afraid of. There are formulas that teach us how to pray. There, you can buy whole books full of prayers, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're good. They're very helpful. But Jesus said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I'll tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. So in other words, we don't need to, to stand up in public and pray long, ornate, elaborate prayers full of, full of church language to impress those who, who are listening. We don't need to pray like that because Jesus says the reward for that is the adoration of those who are listening. But that's not the point of prayer. The point of prayer is to call out to God. And so Jesus says, in order for us not to feel embarrassed or in some way inadequate in our prayers, Jesus says, strip all that away. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And so in other words, prayer is a very personal thing. It's a relational thing. Prayer is fundamental to our relationship with God. Now, of course, corporate prayer, when we come together as a church family and we pray, that is a powerful thing. And Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't do it. But Jesus is saying that whenever we pray, we shouldn't be praying to impress anyone who's listening. We shouldn't be seeking to use language that we wouldn't normally use in conversation. We should speak to God like our closest friend, because that's who he is. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. And so if we try and speak in ways that we wouldn't normally speak, use the sort of language that we think God would like to hear, he's not going to be impressed. He's going to see straight through us. We should pray from the heart. Jesus says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Sometimes, when I'm just going through my normal day, and there's a conversation or a question, and I, I get suddenly, I'm not quite sure what to say to that, I sort of send up a bullet prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do with this. Please give me guidance. And it's one of those really short prayers that you think, this is, this is something I'm struggling to handle. This is something I'm struggling to deal with. What can I do? And the first thing that we should train ourselves to do is just to give it to God. And then try and deal with it. Because then immediately, God is there with us, in us, using that prayer. God is answering that prayer. But if we don't ask for his assistance, if we think we can do it on our own, then we can be left to struggle. We can do it on our own. And sometimes we might get through, but a lot of the time we'll find that as we reflect later on, we think, oh, I wish I'd dealt with that differently. It's always important we seek God's ways. So that passage I've just read comes from Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus goes on to teach us the Lord's Prayer. Again, the Lord's Prayer is perhaps something that you may have learned at school or maybe in Sunday school, um, but more and more now, people are completely unfamiliar with it. But Jesus teaches us to pray through him. So we pray, we pray to the Father through the Son. We pray to God the Father through Jesus the Son. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. First of all, we address the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We recognize the authority of God. Hallowed, holy, sacred is the name of God. We remind ourselves of, of who we're praying to. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It reflects our desire to see a better world, a world where, where God reigns supreme, where God's rule and authority is recognized. Give us today our daily bread. Everything we have is given to us by God. Without daily bread, the literal feeding of our, of our physical bodies, we would waste away. In the same way, without, without spiritual feeding, we, 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 we waste away spiritually. We weaken spiritually. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're calling on God to forgive us. That power that only God has to forgive us our sins. But then we're reminded that we have a duty not to hold grudges, not to hold others' others' wrongdoings against them, but to practice the forgiveness that Jesus practiced to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're encouraged to pray for the, the protection that Jesus can offer, the protection not to be put into situations where we are faced with a temptation that potentially we cannot resist, that we cannot overcome. There's so much more to say about the Lord's Prayer, and I urge you on a regular basis to go back and to remind yourselves of each element of the Lord's Prayer, each individual clause, maybe even each individual word, because it's so rich in what it teaches us about our relationship with God and how we should pray. But that's how Jesus told us to pray, and Jesus himself often prayed. There are many references in Scripture to Jesus having spent time teaching and healing and preaching to to crowds. He takes himself away somewhere quietly. Sometimes he takes the disciples with him. Sometimes he goes on his own. Jesus practiced self-care. Jesus recognized the need to look after himself by taking time to go on his own or maybe with just a small group, and to pray, to receive that spiritual nourishment, to receive that strength, to meditate and to listen to God the Father. Jesus modeled that for us, and it's an example that we should be careful to follow in our own lives. In Psalm 16, verse 11, we read, "'You fill me with joy in your presence.'" When we pray, we, we, we're in the presence of God. When we call on, on God through prayer, God listens, he hears our prayers. And so as we pray, we're in the presence of God. I don't know if you've ever found that. It's a bit like um, when people talk about the eye of the storm. When you go through a, a, a dreadful storm, a, a, a hurricane or tornado, I think, um, and as it's circling round, you, you get to the epicenter, and, and there, right in the middle, that's peaceful because everything's swirling around. Sometimes in a, in a crisis, sometimes in, in just the, 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 the manic nature of life, we can find ourselves suddenly feeling that peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's because we've stopped and prayed. And you are in the presence of God. You will find joy in the presence of God. Now you might be thinking, as many, many people have, have said over the years, what's the point of prayer? If you believe in a God who... who uh, created the world and who's got it all planned out and who knows what's going to happen at the end, which we do, then what's the point of prayer? Because surely you've got the whole thing planned out, God's got everything, everything planned out, and um, if it's planned out, then it's fixed. It cannot be changed. And so your prayers are not going to make any difference, not the blind bit of difference. So what's the point of prayer? There's a helpful, well, I found it helpful, um, quote in, in the in the uh, 
Alpha Course Leaders Book. And it says, Rabbi Daniel Cohn Sherbock, formerly of the University of Kent, once wrote an article arguing that as God already knows the future, it therefore must be fixed. It must be already, already set in stone. To this, Clifford Longley, the former religious affairs correspondent of the Times, correctly replied, if God lives in the eternal present, he hears all prayers simultaneously. Therefore, he can appropriate a prayer from next week and attach it to an event a month ago. So it's, it's to do with our understanding of, of time and the way that God operates. You see, God, God created time in the same way that he created the world, in the same way he created you and I. If we, if we imagine God to be, um, to be restricted by time, then we're not thinking of a big enough God. God lives in this, this eternal present. He can, he can change something in the past to affect something in the future. He can, he, he's, be, he's outside of time. We find that difficult to understand because we live in, in, a, very, in a, linear, a linear life. Time for us is linear. We cannot travel back in time. We cannot travel forward in time. We are here and now. When we talk about God being in the present, we mean our present here and now. But actually, God lives in, in the eternal present. He's bigger. He's bigger than the restrictions of time. Maybe spend some, some time dwelling on that. But what that means is that God does know the future. God does know the past. But our prayers can still make a difference because God is in this, this eternal presence. Everything, everything that we have lived through, everything the world has been through, to God, it's still a present. And the future that is still to come is still part of the present, this eternal present. Our prayers can make a huge difference difference. Of course, we don't always see our prayers making a difference. I was, um, I was reminded this week of um, a time when I believe prayer made a huge difference. Um, when I was 16, um, no, seven, I'd just turned 17, that's right, yes. I'd just turned 17 and um, I was going out with this, this stunning blonde who, um, uh, she was fantastic. She was beautiful and she was intelligent. She had stolen my PIN number, amongst other things. Um, it's, it's my now wife. <laughs> and at the age of 17, she suddenly said, right, well, we've been, we've been going out for um, a couple of years by that point. Let's book a holiday. Fair enough, okay, summer's coming. I thought, you know, maybe a weekend away somewhere. Um, and once I'd said yes, and I've, I've learned, and as you will, when you say yes to Joe, that's it. It's, it's like unleashing this, this storm. And um, anyway, I said yes. And the next thing I know, she comes back from the high street with piles of brochures. And I'm thinking, this, what's this going to be, like a world tour or something? This was meant to be a weekend away. Anyway... After going through various brochures and working out our finances and everything, um, we, we, we booked a fortnight in Mallorca at the age of 17. We were both the youngest in our families, and um, somehow we managed to 
smooth it over with parents, and off we went. Now, I look at my son now, and I think, that's only eight years' time. There is no way that's happening. Absolutely no way. But we, we got there, and, um, and it, was, it was brilliant, it was lovely. And we were having a really good time. Um, and one day, we, we had a bit of an argument, nothing massive. It went along the lines of me sort of saying, um, we've, we've been everywhere, we've seen everything, we're into the second week, it's a little bit dull. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned doing a day trip somewhere. She said, oh, yeah. And I said, I said yeah, well, I've, why don't we do like, a day trip to Ibiza? And she said, no. She said, don't be ridiculous. She said, look how much it is. It's really expensive. And I said, yeah, but we could do it. She said, no, we can't. We haven't got the money. And so being 17 and, and not the smartest um, of, of guys, I, I sort of suggested, why don't we get this pedlo? We, we, we can see if we can get on a pedlo. That'd be a laugh, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'll be a story. Let's see how far we can get. Absolutely not. Anyway, I got the hump, and she was on the balconies thinking, oh, idiot. Um, she's probably thinking, I wonder when I'll meet a decent 17-year-old boyfriend. At that point, she suddenly came back in. She said, Tom, 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 you'll never guess what's happened. And I said, what? She said, come and have a look. We looked over the balcony, and walking past our balcony, um, just in the street below, were a couple from Bitterkey Baptist Church. I didn't really know them at the time, but Joan knew them quite well. And so she, she shouted out to them. We went downstairs, and suddenly um, all thoughts of pedlos and everything evaporated because we started talking to this, these people, and they said, look, this is, this is the hotel we're staying in. Do you need anything? Then please get in touch with us. Great. And off they went. This week, it suddenly struck me. After, oh, it was years ago this happened. It suddenly struck me. I'd be terrified sending my 17-year-old to Mallorca for a couple of weeks. I'd be really worried about who they're going to meet, what's going to happen, what if something goes wrong. Because at that age, you think you know everything, but you don't, do you? Joe's parents and my parents would have been praying and praying and praying for God's protection over us. I don't know if we've ever told them that story, but suddenly, a couple from just round the corner. They live just round the corner from where we used to live. They walk past, and we talk to them. And suddenly, we know that if something goes wrong, a few blocks away, there's a hotel that we can go to, and there are people who could help us. Our parents' prayers were answered in a way that they didn't see, that they didn't know, that they didn't pray specifically for, but they would have been praying that their, their daughter and their son were protected, that God would look after them, God would keep them safe. And you can say, what a, well, that's a coincidence, Tom. That's a coincidence. I've, I've been on holiday and met people I didn't expect to meet. It's a coincidence. Maybe. Maybe. But I'll tell you what, the more I pray about things, the more I ask God to intervene in situations, the more of these coincidences that happen. And so I, I can only say that I believe in the power of prayer. That is the only conclusion that I can come to, and I believe that if you pray in your life, if you pray and pray and pray, sometimes you won't see the answers to prayer, sometimes you won't have a clue, but eventually you see enough to trust that God will answer prayer. We are called to trust 
that our prayers will be answered. But it's not a blind trust that we do simply because Scripture tells us to. It's a trust that is built up through experience, experiencing the presence and the power of God. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now this is not a a carte blanche. Ask for what you want, I'll give it to you. If that was the case, and we all would have won the lottery every week for the past however many years, and and world, world hunger would be solved, there'd be no war, everything would be done. That's not what this passage is saying. You see, we have a responsibility in prayer. It is so easy to pray for what we want, to ask God for for the list of things that we would like to have or to see happen. But remember Jesus' prayer. Lord, take this cup of suffering from me as he was on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what awaited him, knowing the, the injustice of the mock trial, knowing the, the, the judgment that was going to be made, knowing the torture and the, the, the mockery, the humiliation and the execution, the crucifixion, knowing everything that went before him. He prayed, Lord, take this away from me. Don't make me go through with this. But, but, your will be done. Our responsibility is to be obedient in the way that we pray. Yes, tell God everything on your heart because he already knows what it is. Tell him what, what you would like to see, how you're feeling. Ask for things in prayer. But remember the example of Jesus at the end of our prayer. But, Lord, all this, the most important thing in all of this is that your will be done. And that's where the real trust comes in. Because sometimes our will is not God's will. Sometimes the way that we would have prayers answered is not, is not the way that God's going to do it. I'm sure we have all prayed for an end to the war in Ukraine and we have all felt the, the anguish and a disappointment that God's not answered our prayer. But Lord, your will be done. On that cross, as Jesus was hanging there, breathing his last breath, I'm sure that he felt that same sense of disappointment, that same sense of why. But he'd given it to God. He'd said, your will be done. So he was obedient. He was obedient to the will of God. And we must be too. We must show that obedience. And of course... Prayer can cover a whole multitude of things. Intercession, thanksgiving. There's a, whole, there's a whole list of prayers. There's no end to the type of prayers that we can pray. But let's not forget that as we go through life, we all sin. We all give in to temptation at some point or, or allow our, our frustration or our anger to boil over. 
we are all susceptible to sin. And so sin is the barrier that sits between us and God. Now, it's not an immovable barrier because Jesus died on the cross to make sure that we can always remove that barrier by calling on the power of the cross for forgiveness, by calling on Jesus to forgive our sins, which he does. But when we pray, let's remember to pray by, beginning, by starting by acknowledging that barrier and saying, Lord, please remove that barrier. Please forgive me of my sin. Because then we've got a much clearer conversation with God. He can hear us, we can hear him. If we don't do that, then there is a barrier between us. It blocks our prayer life. It hampers us in our communication with our Heavenly Father. We should pray continually. We should talk to God. In 1 Thessalonians, we are told... Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel joyful. I don't always feel that sense of, well, hey, this is great. Isn't life good? I try to, but don't always feel it. I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I said that that was how I feel all the time. But what I do feel is that inner joy of knowing that whatever I am going through, I am not going through it on my own. We are never abandoned. We are never left alone. We can always call on our God who loves us. And then, if we pray continually, if we keep ourselves in that presence of God that the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 16 then it's much easier to be joyful always if we pray continually and we will find ourselves giving thanks in all circumstances. But we must have a healthy prayer life relating ourselves to God. Scripture, of course, is the word of God. And just as it's important for us to pray to God it's important for us to hear from God as well. The Bible has been described as God's love letter to his people. And it doesn't read like a love letter, no. But whenever we, whenever we turn to God's word, we will always find something in there that we can, we can meditate on, that we can stop, that we can think, that we can learn from. This is why, why the Bible has been, has, has been a, a bestseller for, for decades there hasn't been a year for decades where the Bible hasn't been um, the, one of the best-selling, if not the best-selling book. It's because it is a book that has so much to give. It is a book that speaks to people, that changes lives. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted in the desert, Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Scripture is the mouth of God. This is the mouth through which he speaks to us. And so if we, if we pray and we don't touch our Bibles, we're just having a one-way conversation. We're just walking in and, hi, how are you doing? This is me, this is where I am, this is my problems, this is what I'd like you to do, I'm off, see ya. That's not an effective communication, is it? That's not a relationship. 
Instead, we need to make sure that as we pray, we also read scripture and then we give ourselves time to reflect, to consider, to meditate, to ask, what is God saying to me through this? How is God answering the prayer that I've just brought before him? What is God giving me that I can take out into the world and share with people? God loves to hear from us. The Father loves to hear from his children. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the children of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's not actually that nice a list, is it? Teaching suggests that we don't know everything. Rebuking assumes we'll get things wrong. Correcting says you're going to make mistakes. Training in righteousness says you're not already righteous. You see, we need God's word. We need to be reading scripture. We need to know our Bibles. Because, not because it's a, an academic exercise. If you buy a new car and you'd never drive it, but you read the handbook and you, you take quotes from it and stick them on your bathroom mirror and get to the point where you can quote the handbook and you know all about the car, but you've never driven it, what's the point? There is no point. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't treat Scripture like an owner's manual. We should treat it more as a, a, a guidebook. I want to read this and then I want to go there. And I want to do it. I want to experience it. Just before we, before we finish, I want to just share a passage which demonstrates to us the importance of having strong communication with God, a strong relationship with God. It actually comes from very early on in the Bible. It comes from Genesis chapter 39. And it's, it's about Joseph. And Joseph was youngest brother in a large family. His father, he was his father's favorite and he'd been given this magnificent coat, this magnificent robe, and he'd been a bit of a peacock and strutted around and thought how good he looked. And he'd had a dream and he'd interpreted the dream because that was a gift that God had given him. And in the dream, he'd imagined his brothers all bowing down around him and he told his brothers this. And as you can imagine, they thought, he's just getting too big for his boots. They were not happy with him. And so one day when he went out, to, they were shepherding out in, in the wilderness and he went out, they attacked him. At first they were going to kill him, but they decided not to. They just dumped him and left him. And they took the robe and they dipped it in, in the blood of a goat and they took it back to his father and said, oh, he's, he's been attacked. And they thought, we've got rid of him. We haven't killed him, but we've got rid of him. And his father was devastated. And, and eventually Joseph gets found by some slave traders and taken off to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he demonstrates qualities. He demonstrates leadership. He demonstrates common sense. He has a certain boldness. People like him. And he gets himself to a position, um, quite a good position, um, in in the house of an Egyptian official, one of, one of Pharaoh's officials. And we're told that this official trusted him so much 
but he left all of his affairs to Joseph. So in Genesis 39, starting at verse 6, we read, so, so, so Potiphar, the Egyptian official, left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one's greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed or to even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought as you brought us, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison, prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, don't worry, I'm not about to give a full exposition of that passage, but... The point of that is that Joseph, we know he had a bit of an ego. He was his father's favourite, the youngest son. When he was given this, this, this robe, he, he showed it off. He, 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 enjoyed, he enjoyed being the peacock. So much so that his, he wound his brothers up to the point where they just wanted him out of their lives. And then, when he spent a bit of time in slavery... He's demonstrated good character. But, you remember last week we spoke a little bit about Satan and temptation. Joseph, he's well built. He's handsome. He's a single man. He has this attractive lady who is laying herself on a plate for him. You see... What if this wasn't Joseph? What if this was an alcoholic and someone saying, oh, come on, just have one. Go on, it'll be all right. Have one and then stop. Come on, come on. Or what if it's 
the compulsive gambler who is sitting at home watching football and then half-time, the adverts are just filled with advert after advert after advert, offering odds that seem too good to be true and, and really struggling because it's so easy to download an app and at the press of a button you can put everything you have on the next result. There's a whole manner of things that this could be, but if we, if we take this situation, maybe we can apply it to our own life, the biggest temptation in your life. And there it is. And Joseph had a choice. He could have said, all right, lock the door. But no. Because Joseph had a strong relationship with God, he had the strength to resist that temptation. Make no mistake, that would have been a huge temptation. But, but, what does Joseph say? He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? This is not a sin against Potiphar that bothers Joseph. It is a sin against God. And it's because Joseph had this relationship with God. Now, of course, this was before the Bible, most of the Bible was written. This was many, many, many years ago. But, the oral tradition which passed down stories from generation to generation before things were written down. Joseph would have heard the stories of his forefathers. He would have known about the Creator God. He would have experienced others who had shared the story about God, the great story. He would have prayed to God. He would have been to the temple. He would have known he would have known in his mind he trusted in God. He had a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And because of that relationship, that was the only thing that gave him the strength to resist that temptation. He could have done it. He could have gone through with that. But he didn't. If he had, then we don't know what would have happened. He probably would have been found out and put to death anyway. But, eventually he finds himself in prison. But while he was there, we are told, the Lord was with him. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with me. As we go through life and we go through the challenges that we find ourselves in, God is with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. The, the book of Hebrews tells us that. But we cannot take that for granted. The more, more time we spend with someone, the more we share with someone, the more that we open up to someone, the stronger our relationship with them is. So let's build our relationship with God. Let us be constantly checking the foundations of our relationship, making sure that there is no bitter root growing underneath making sure that we are, we are firm in our beliefs, making sure that we are not allowing temptation to get in and destroy us. A couple of years ago, I watched a documentary. It was about deep-sea diving, guys who worked on oil rigs, going right down to the, the bottom of the sea and welding and fixing and maintaining the, um, the structures that hold the rigs in place. And there was an interview with a diver, and it was fascinating because they had said how um, in these... Uh, they didn't take tanks down with them because they, they, they would have been down there 
um, for a long time when they were doing some of these some of these works. And so they had a great big drum of cable on the surface, and as the diver went down, the cable was let out. And in that cable, um, it provided the power for their for lamps for their lighting, so they could see because it was pitch black at that depth. Um, it provided um, uh, the right mix of, of air so that um, they, could, they could breathe down there at the right pressure and everything. And it was also the communication line. And in this interview with the diver, they, they said, um, uh, it, must be, it must be dreadful when, when the lights go out and you can't see anything. And he said, well, it's not very helpful because, you know, if you... If you, if you drop something, or if you, um, if you just can't find your way. He said, yeah, it's, it's, it's dangerous if the lights go out. And they said, what's the, what's, the worst, um, what's the worst thing that's happened while you've been down there? And he said, well, most people assume that the worst thing that can happen would be that there would, for some reason, the, um, the air supply would stop. But he said, actually, that's not the end of the world, because um, when you're down there, your suit actually holds um, a certain amount of, of air, and that in itself, even if the supply is cut off and you have a little alarm that starts going, if I hear that alarm, I know I drop everything and I start, I've got it just enough time to get back up to the surface so that I don't get the bends and that I don't um, have any, any complications, but I can get safely up to the surface and get my suit off. So actually, as long as I stay calm and remember my training, if, if, if the air supply gets cut, it's not the end of the world. In the same way, if the lights go out, I've got emergency lighting. You always carry a couple of um, torches. Um, again, it's not enough to work by, but it's enough to, to either fix the problem if it's with me or I can get back up there. He said, no, the worst thing, the absolute worst thing that can happen when you're down there at the bottom of the sea is for your communication line to be cut. He said, we take communication for granted. But if I'm at the bottom of the sea, cold, dark, on my own, and suddenly, where I start talking to the person up above, and I get no response, that's terrifying. Because I have no idea what's going on up there. They can't tell me what the problem is. I don't know if the alarm, fa the alarm failed and my air was cut off five minutes ago. I don't know what's going on. There's nothing more terrifying than being denied communication with those in control. Is it any wonder why in a world where people are drifting away from God, drifting away from church, when that line of communication that each one of us should be maintaining with our Heavenly Father is being ignored, is being cut off by so many people, is it any wonder while well, we look around the world and say, why is there so much suffering, so much heartbreak, so much devastation? Why is there war? Why is there famine? There's so many problems in the world, but it's easy for us to put it all on God. But that's not right. We need to look at ourselves first. And we can do that individually and corporately by making sure that our communication with God is as constant and as healthy as it can be, that we are open and honest with God, that we listen to him, that we receive from him, that we share with him, and that we share together as well. Because we are the people of God. We are the church. And Jesus is our head.
So as we go out into this world, let's just remember that we are not abandoned. We are not left alone. We have the ear of God just waiting to listen to us. And we also have the word of God just waiting to speak to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of communication. When we look at the world now, Lord, and we talk about people going off overseas, whether it's Indonesia or whether it's Australia or whether it's the States or all these places that once were just unreachable, that once took months and months to communicate with, Father, we know now we live in a world of instant communication. But we know that the most important instant communication that we have at our fingertips is prayer and scripture. Father God, we know that you, you love to hear from us. You're a father who loves to hear from his children. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us the obedience, give us the discipline to get into the, the regular practice of talking to you, of communicating to you, of discerning what you're saying to us. And Father, help us also to, to learn the depth of trust that we trust that our prayers are answered, even when we don't see those answers, even when those, those prayers maybe take far longer than we would like for them to be answered, or even when a scripture seems to be telling us something that we don't really want to hear. Father, let us remember the words of Jesus. Your will be done. May this become a truth for us in our lives and in our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand then if we're able and we'll sing our final song.
ีเ